I'm Brian McPherson, and this is the Athena Health Podcast. We're producing this podcast to help clinicians and staff better utilize Athena One so Athena One can best support your patient care. The summer 2023 release will take place during the week of July 24th, which means all organizations on Athena One will see enhancements to a variety of workflows rolling out that week. We stagger our releases over three days, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday of release week, just in case a new feature somehow has an impact on the stability or reliability of Athena One. The staggered release allows us to keep a close eye on the performance of the network as more and more clinicians and staff use the new features. You should see a note on your Athena One homepage that tells you which day your practice can expect to see new features. We're going to discuss many new features today with Dr. Neela Jessel, the Chief Medical Officer here at Athena Health. For even more information about these features, check out the release centers on the Success Community, where you can find release notes, demo videos, and even a link to our release walkthrough webinar, which you can either watch live on July 13th or on demand anytime after July 13th. Because Athena One is cloud-based, you don't need to install anything for the new features to appear. They'll just be there when you log in on your release day. You may need to take some configuration steps to make the best use of some new features. You can see more information about any setup or configuration steps by navigating to the release centers on the Success Community. One quick note before we get started, don't forget, registration is now open for Thrive, Athena Health's annual summit. We're looking forward to seeing you in Austin, Texas from October 9th through 11th where Thrive will bring together over 2,000 users, partners, and leaders within the healthcare community to connect and immerse themselves in Athena Health Resources. You can register now by following the link in the show notes. If you have questions, you can email thrivesummit, all one word, at athenahealth.com. But let's first focus on the summer 2023 release. To do that, I'd now like to welcome Dr. Jessel, who plays a key consultative role with nearly all of the teams building new or enhanced clinical workflows in Athena One. Thanks for joining me today. Hi, Brian. Thanks for having me. Always a pleasure to chat with you about releases. So one of the new features will enable clinicians and staff to configure the fields they see in the clinical inbox grid view. Right now, the clinical inbox looks the same for a clinician, nurse, MA, or administrator, even though folks in those roles all have to work in different ways. What's changing with the clinical inbox in the summer 2023 release? So, Brian, this is the first iteration, actually, of a series of updates we have planned for the clinical inbox. We have heard from our users that they would love for our inbox to work similar to other inboxes they use in their daily lives. So, for example, email inboxes. We've also heard loud and clear that different users in the practice use the inbox for different purposes. And, you know... You know that our current inbox is pretty much a one-size-fits-all, and we all know that one-size-fits-all usually fits no one. So we are investing in a series of updates to the inbox um, that should enable more efficient work management. In this upcoming release, um, our first iteration is to enable users to configure the fields they see in the clinic inbox grid for a more customized view. So like I said, this is only the first step in a series of planned updates with the ultimate goal of delivering an efficient and customizable clinical work list to our customers. So how do you recommend clinicians and staff set this up? Will will what they set up, any individual clinician, impact other users in other roles that are interacting with the same patients? No, this is the nice part about this, um, because it is supposed to be configurable for the individual user. This configuration is at the user level. So every user will have the ability to choose whether and how they want to configure their inbox. You mentioned this as a first step. What other enhancements do we have planned for the clinical inbox down the road? 
So in our next release in the fall, um, we plan to add additional configurable features to this functionality, as well as the ability to take quick actions on patient cases. So for example, you can reassign or reply to a patient case directly from the work list. Additionally, users will be able to expand the item, in this case, the patient case, to see additional detail without the need to open the document. So, so today, to see additional details, you have to actually click on the patient case, which opens the document in the chart, and you lose your place in the work list. With the new um, functionality coming in the fall release, you'll be able to see the details of the patient case and take any action on it directly from the work list. It's super cool. I've seen this functionality. Can't wait for that release. Um, as I've mentioned, our goal over the next several releases is to build new tools that allow our users to assign, prioritize, and execute work. We really want to enable everyone in a practice to manage their work more efficiently, to allow them to focus on what is most important. And that obviously is patient care. So another feature in the summer release that could trip up practices who aren't aware of it is a new requirement that the vaccine quantity field be filled out when a vaccine is marked as administered. What's the rationale behind this change, this new requirement? So there's two reasons behind this. First off, documenting quantity and quantity units is important from a clinical documentation standard perspective. And second of all, it is needed for completeness of immunization registry data transfers and required for state-funded vaccine for children programs. Prior to us making this field mandatory, which will happen in the July release, only about 78% of administered vaccines across our network included quantity information. That's not good from a clinical documentation standpoint. So with this change, we're ensuring that 100% of documented vaccines across our network will include this information and it will eliminate documentation rework due to missing quantity information. So customers can opt out of this setting, but I have to say that so far we have not encountered any customers who desire to do so. Uh, actually, quite the opposite. We've had many customers clamor to enable this feature early for their practices. That this is how important it is for them to document quantity. So I know we have a lot of accelerator tools that can help with this. How can practices use those tools like order sets and encounter plans to make it easier to capture this required information? So we released functionality in the spring release that allows customers to default quantity administered in order sets. That was actually a very frequently requested change uh, due to the fact that customers did not want to forget to document quantity administered in vaccines. So if you leverage an order set and you know default the quantity and the quantity unit in the order set, it will ensure that quantity is documented with a minimal number of clicks. So some of our customers also leverage order sets to pre-populate lot numbers and expiration dates. Um, you can do that if, if you update order sets appropriately when your vaccine shipment changes and the lot number and, and expiration date changes. So you obviously have to stay on top of that. Alternatively, we actually have pretty robust vaccine barcode scanning functionality. And that's a really neat way to efficiently and correctly document lot number and expiration date without relying on staff and minimizing documentation errors. So for those who may not be as familiar with setting up order sets and encounter plans, is there a recommended best practice for getting those set up for each clinician at a practice? So that depends a little bit on the practice size, but I would say that for most practices, it is typically most efficient to have an administrator set up the order sets and then release them to the entire practice. That avoids having individual clinicians needing to subscribe to the order sets. Now, it's also possible for one clinician in the practice to create the order sets in their username. 
and then other clinicians in the practice can subscribe to them. So subscribing to something has the advantage that the subscriber will automatically receive any updates to the order set that the original creator makes. That's in contrast to copying an order set where you then become the owner and you have to make your own updates. Now, I'll say that for larger practices that operate in multiple states, um, you know, with potentially different requirements, um, it, it may be easier to preface order sets with the state acronym to facilitate identification or to restrict order sets to certain specialties or users. So another feature that we expect to save users quite a bit of time, especially clinicians, is a new search widget for CPT codes. Where can users find that widget in the workflow? So CPT codes are very relevant in surgical and procedure orders so that surgical schedulers can obtain appropriate authorization for the procedure and also present the patient with a cost estimate prior to the procedure. The CPT codes also convey the clinician intent of the desired procedure. The new CPT code widget um, is embedded in the order for the surgery procedure. So in the field procedure code that is located in the order, uh, providers can now start typing the CPT code and it has a search ahead functionality. So if you're not certain of the full CPT code and you only know the first couple of digits, we will now suggest potential matches um, in a list that you can select the CPT code from. If you don't know your CPT code at all, you can also search by name, for example, you know, hip surgery, and we will suggest CPT codes for you. So that's pretty cool new functionality, um, especially for procedures that you may not have the CPT code memorized for yet. How did clinicians do that previously when they didn't have the CPT code memorized? So I think most clinicians who do certain procedures frequently um, have memorized the CPT codes, um, you know, just as you memorize other things that you do very frequently. Now, for procedures that are rarer or not done as frequently, typically that would necessitate um, having to have a cheat sheet somewhere or, you know, going to a lookup base and, and looking up the CPT code. So we historically have had a code and knowledge based lookup tool that allowed users to search for appropriate codes, including CPT codes, but that tool was not located within the order, but had to be accessed via the purple action bar. So I'm actually not even sure that many clinicians today are aware um, of this functionality. So users of the Athena One mobile app will also see updates, including a redesign of the way lab results are displayed, as well as the ability to edit and sign off on DME orders. For those who don't already use the Athena One mobile app, what's the benefit to having Athena One on your phone? So Brian, I actually don't think we have enough time in this podcast for me to highlight all the benefits of having Athena One on your phone. <laughs> But um, all joking aside, I would encourage all providers who have not done so to download the Athena One mobile app to their phone. It is really a pretty awesome tool. Um, I would say even for providers who don't want to make use of the mobile encounter documentation feature, just being able to easily access patient charts, for example, while being on call, um, send a prescription, you know, while you're on the road or, you know, access your schedule and see what's in store for you is invaluable. And, you know, what's, what's really cool that iPhone users with newer iPhones actually have the ability to add features such as their schedule as a widget to their phone. Like if you haven't tried widgets, super cool. Definitely do it. So you mentioned the iPhone. I know we hear a lot from Android users and there are probably some listening now who are frustrated that the Athena One mobile app is still only available for iOS. Um, can you speak to the progress we're making on an Android version in response to this feedback? Yeah, absolutely. So we absolutely understand that providers would like the ability to have Athena One Mobile on Android devices. Um, 
and that our current mobile offering only supports iOS. We're still actively researching and planning for Android support and are hoping to launch a limited alpha in 2024, so not that far away. The decision to first launch Athena One Mobile on iOS um, actually stemmed from extensive research that found that iOS was the primary platform used by physicians in the United States. But we do understand that there are many Android users and are actively working on delivering Athena One Mobile for Android devices. So slightly separately from clinical workflows, we're also making many enhancements to other workflows, including billing and claims workflows to help our um, customers, clinicians get paid faster for their services. Back in the spring 2023 release, we enabled automatic insurance package selection with our enhanced self-check-in functionality um, for when patients were providing their own image of an insurance card. It sounds like we're now taking it a step further in July. So as someone who, uh, you know, once uh, founded a practice from scratch and as a startup practice had to check in patients and select insurance packages, I can honestly say this is probably one of my most favorite features in the release. Um, anybody who today selects insurance packages knows how painful this is. And while granted this is not directly related to clinician work, it is most certainly related to clinicians as all doctors care about getting paid for the work they do. So us helping to select the correct insurance package for the patient um, the first time around is probably one of the most important things that we can do. And, you know, when people talk about leveraging AI, this is a prime example of how AI-assisted automated packet selection can actually not only reduce work for the front desk, but greatly improve the accuracy of the insurance selection, which then prevents insurance-related issues, rejections, denials, and, and hopefully should lead to faster payments. So in this release now, when front desk staff are scanning an insurance card with the patient right there in front of them, what it sounds like is that we're going to greatly reduce the amount of work involved. Yeah, um, absolutely, because what we're actually doing is reversing the order. So previously to this release, um, front desk staff would have to find the insurance package and then scan in the insurance card. So now we are reversing the order, which makes so much more sense, um, and actually we'll start with scanning in the insurance card and then our machine algorithm will scan the image of the scanned in card and suggest appropriate packages in a list that staff can then select the package from. So, and as you know, we um, get better and better at assisting, obviously the machine algorithm keeps learning as we learn what packages staff actually selects from the list and then also learn about whether or not claims got accepted with that insurance package, this functionality should get better and better and, and minimize the work more and more over time. So let's look down the road a little bit beyond the summer 2023 release and what else is in the works. We at Athena Health talk a lot about interoperability, by which we mean the ability of providers to see and act on clinical data from across the healthcare ecosystem. What's in the works there, um, short and long term? Yeah, that's a great question because interoperability, as much as we all love it and, and love to have access to the data, today um, it has placed additional burdens on providers, right? Because access to data is no longer nearly as much a problem as access to too much data is. So information overload is, you know, one of the most frequently cited reasons for providers for a burden from, from work and, and one of the contributors to provider burnout. So we know that providers and practices spend 
many resources integrating patient data across the healthcare network. Um, this increases operational overhead, and it also risks that critical patient information will be missed. So what we're doing is leveraging our many connections within the healthcare ecosystem to enhance the experience of interoperability within the clinical workflow. So with that, we're no longer calling it interoperability, but we're actually referring to it now as experiential interoperability, because it is all about how providers and clinical staff experience interoperability in the unlimited flow of data. So part of our plan is to give our customers visibility to clinical data across points of care, but also to enable easy integration of relevant data into the patient record um, and to automate the digestion of key clinical data as much as possible so that providers always know what is happening to their patients. One feature that's just getting started in its alpha testing is enhanced diagnosis selection, which will save clinicians time by allowing them to search for a diagnosis by the terminology they would naturally use. What do you see as the impact of this feature as we're developing it? So this is one of our ongoing features and development that I am personally most excited about. Um, you know, as any provider will probably agree with me, our current way to select diagnoses leveraging SNOMED, the systemized nomenclature of medicine, is far from ideal, uh, shall we call it. So our new enhanced diagnosis search will feature an intelligent diagnosis search and a new terminology that will actually allow providers to select clinical attributes to guide them quickly to the diagnosis and most importantly, to all appropriate ICD-10 codes. And, and this will be at the right level of specificity for that particular patient. So this should not only reduce documentation time, but more importantly, it will deliver a more complete picture of the patient's uh, disease burden to the entire care team, other practices, coders, payers, and also patients. In our last episode, we talked a lot about alpha and beta testing, the way we, we test features before they get released. If clinicians want to join the alpha or beta test for something like enhanced diagnosis, to take part in it early, to make their voice heard as we're developing it, how do they do that? So we just started early alpha testing of this new functionality. So it will be a little while before we can uh, expand this to additional users. But we do have um, a page on the success community that features all our available alphas and betas. And I would highly recommend to keep an eye on that page and sign up for any alpha or beta testing, not just this one that seems applicable to your practice so that you can sign up as soon as the functionality becomes available. We, we really take feedback from our alpha and beta testing into account, and it is one of the best ways to influence development of new functionality to actually participate in alpha and beta testing. So speaking of feedback, with many of these features, I know we get a lot of feedback from the Clinical Advisory Board, which we touched on a couple of episodes ago in this podcast. How has that been going this year, and how can others get involved if they're interested? Yeah, it's it's been going great. Um, our Clinical Advisory Board has really been a fantastic sounding board for us. One example of how the Advisory Board influences our product development is actually a feature that we are going to release in the upcoming July release. And, and that feature is the addition of the Hippocrates monograph uh, to the medication list. This is something that the advisory board um, highly recommended to us to do um, because it will help users to familiarize themselves with medications um, that are entered directly on the medication list or imported, for example, from the medication history download 
and the Hippocrates monograph, drug information will now be available um, directly on the medication list. So this way, providers and staff can, can look up any medication and review the information without the need to actually you know, open an order, add the medication to the order, and then reviewing the Hippocrates monograph from the order. So super exciting functionality. And the advisory board was actually um, amongst the first providers to test out that new functionality in, in the alpha, and uh, the feedback was universally positive. So very excited to see, to see how the rest of our users will like this new functionality. And, and I really hope that it will improve not just patient care, but also save some time. And so if somebody wants to get involved in the clinical advisory board, how can they do that? So applications for the 2024 clinical advisory board will open uh, later this summer. We will post an announcement to the Athena One uh, network page and also mention it in email communication. So stay tuned. And as soon as the application opens up and you are interested in potentially joining the advisory board, by all means, submit an application and looking forward to having you join. Well, this has been great. All these new features sound really exciting. Um, to hopefully improve patient care, save clinicians time, reduce burnout. Uh, thank you so much for joining us today to speak to all these features. Thank you for having me. Here's what else you need to know this month. Don't forget, for more information about the summer 2023 release, be sure to check out the release centers on the Success Community, where you can see release notes, demo videos, and more. We also urge you to register for the summer 2023 release walkthrough webinar scheduled for July 13th, where you can see demo videos and hear from some of the teams that built these features. If you're listening to this podcast after July 13th, no worries, you can watch the webinar on demand. And don't forget to register for Thrive, Athena Health's annual summit scheduled for October 9th through 11th in Austin, Texas. Thrive is designed to connect you with your peers and Athena Health leadership and to help you transform your day-to-day -day work experience and the future of your business. We can't wait to see you there. Check out the registration page in the episode notes or by visiting the main landing page of the Success Community. Have you checked out the Athena Health Marketplace lately? With over 350 partners across 62 capabilities and 60 specialties, the Marketplace enables you to curate your Athena Health experience under one platform based on your specific business needs. Over 70% of Athena Health customers use one or more Marketplace partner. Go to marketplace.athenahealth.com and filter by specialty or capability to find solutions that support your business, integrating seamlessly and powering the most open, scalable platform in healthcare. If you enjoyed this podcast, be sure to tell your colleagues to check us out as well. The podcast is available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, or wherever you listen to podcasts. You can let us know what you think by email at podcast.athenahealth.com, especially if you have any topics you would like us to cover to better support the way you use Athena One. We're working to create a thriving ecosystem that delivers accessible, high-quality, and sustainable healthcare for all, and we'll talk to you again soon.